We've been talking about developing uh, relationships. This word relationship has really been at the key of it. So we develop a relationship with your Bible, developing a relationship with your faith, developing a relationship with uh, prayer. We talked last week, developing a relationship with people. Uh, okay, now how many of you, after hearing, how many of you heard that message? How many of you relationally walked out and you were like, okay, yes, intentional, good relationships with people we're going to develop. And then Monday was like, how many of you were like, we need a hotline at the church because our relationships got super tense and messy after Pastor Pat preached a message on relationships? Did anybody deal with that? Okay, just a few of you willing to admit, yeah. I had a number of people say to me, gosh, you know, you got this message on developing a relationship with people, and then suddenly people just became really irritating. And I was like, that's funny how that works. So were you the irritant? Because I'm sure they were irritated because you were irritating, and, and then uh, they don't want, no one, we don't want to hear that, right? Okay. So today we're going to talk about developing a healthy relationship. We're going to continue talking about relationships, developing a healthy relationship with your church. Developing a healthy relationship with your church. Now, I, I am very specific about how I said that. Not just any relationship. I want it to be a healthy relationship. And not my church. It's yours. I get the privilege and the honor of standing up and speaking and, and leading and doing things. But God is the head of this church. It's your church. If I see you in public, people say, hey, I go to your church. You'll hear me say like, no. I go to your church. It's your church, okay? It's not my church. There's no owner here, okay? So this is your church. I want you to develop a healthy relationship with your church. If this is not your church, I want you to hear this message. I want you to go home to wherever you're from, and I want you to develop a healthy relationship with your church, okay? I want, that also means that you have a church. There's some implications behind this. If you don't have a church, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're sitting here this morning, so if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're like, man, I'm just kind of checking this out. My friend invited me to come. They coerced me into coming. I had no idea there's breakfast at the end of this for me. I don't know what it, like however you got here, if you're just looking for something, if you're sitting seat, like I'm just looking for something, I'm talking to the follower of Jesus right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you, you need to have a church. Okay, we're going to talk about this today. Ephesians 5, first we're going to read this. Now, as I read this, I'm going to start in verse uh, 21 of chapter 5. I'm going to give a little bit of commentary as we read this, because there's some little pointers that I wanted, to, I wanted to draw attention to. So I'm going to start in verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The very next verse says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay, now I want to stop for a second and I want to tell you, when, when, when the Bible was written, it didn't have these breaks. It didn't have this separation in verses and stuff. Uh, that was put in to help us because of the way we read modern day when we read. Uh, it helps us to kind of break things down. But I want to tell you that um, contextually, like when I, when I study the Bible, if I'm reading the Bible, this is something that I'll do. I'll, I'll kind of erase that line. So for me, it was important to start in verse 21 because what will happen is a lot of times people, have you ever heard this, this scripture preached and it's about like wives, you need to submit to your husbands, right? And people, they, we start there. So we start in verse 22. We're just like, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. By the way, husbands, don't try to quote this to your wife. 
Any husbands in here ever tried to quote that? Yeah. Rib shot, punch to the throat, okay? There's a lot of other weapons uh, that can be used, but here, here's the deal. What we'll do is we'll jump in the middle of a text and we'll say, let's start here because this proves my point. So this is what I'm going to say. Wives, submit to your husbands. But let's back up one verse and what does it actually say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I just want to say to you that there's a mutual submission that we're called to in Scripture. And in that mutual submission to one another, we're doing it out of reverence to Jesus Christ. I'm not submitting to my wife out of reverence to 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 you know, her deity, she's the queen of the home. But do you understand that, I, that I'm, we're mutually submitted? I'm submitting to my wife because it's like, I'm going to love her and be submitted to her care. Why? Because I'm submitted to who? Jesus Christ. Okay. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body. Okay. His body is what? Us. Let's back up. Husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, comma, his body. Jesus Christ's body is the what? Church. Of which he is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior of what? The church, his body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her or died for her. Okay? So, you know, men, you want to walk around preaching to your wives, submit. Okay? She could turn to you and she could say, die. Guys, I'm telling you, like, careful, right? We're preaching, and it's like, submit. Okay. <laughs> so husbands, love your wives. This is Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her or died for her. To make her what? Holy. Cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Man, the church is pretty stinking important to Jesus. That he would go to this length to die for it. And the church is this beautiful thing as presented in Scripture, that it's radiant, it's blameless without blemish, because Jesus God is looking at the church. He's looking at the body of Christ. He's looking at you and I through the lens of who? Jesus Christ. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Okay, so we go through this whole thing. We read this passage in Ephesians, and we're like, this is about husbands and wives. But this scripture clearly just told me that God is, he's going, okay, I'm going to speak to you about husbanding and wifing, 
But really what I'm talking to you about is the bigger picture of me loving people to such a degree, me seeing you so radiantly, me seeing you without blemish, me seeing you completely blameless through my son Jesus. It's a profound mystery. Yes, I'm talking about husbands and wives, and I'm talking about the fact that my son Jesus would die for his bride called the church. I think sometimes we... We want to preach out of this passage and we want to get, we would like, we take this as the marriage seminar 101. Like we're going to go and have a marriage conference and like we're going to talk Ephesians 5 here. But really what we're talking about is our relationship with the church. God wants to have a healthy relationship with the church. Relationships, I am convinced right now, without a doubt, more than ever in society, relationships are probably one of the number one areas of tension that we are going to feel. I said that last week. I am convinced of it. And God wants us to see the picture of what a healthy relationship looks like. And he wants, to, he wants to see what a healthy relationship with the church looks like. So he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So church is a pretty important thing if Jesus died for it. Would you agree? Based on what we just read, church must be pretty important if, if God sent his son and his son, Jesus Christ, died for the church. So for us to understand what a healthy relationship looks like with the church, we have to understand some things about the church. Now, I jokingly talk about the differences between men and women. For me to have a healthy relationship with my wife, not just a relationship with my wife, because we can have relationships, but they're really, I mean, especially today, we see a lot of dysfunction in relationships. So let's not just say a relationship, but if I want a healthy relationship with my wife, I have to understand some things about my wife. For instance, there's some stuff that her and I joke about sometimes. Um, we were reading through this book one time, and it was explaining the woman's brain. Does anyone here have a computer? Anyone here have a computer? Okay. Does anyone on their phone, have, did you, have you ever gone onto your phone, and you run into this moment where you're like, gosh, my battery is dying so fast, and you open your phone up, and you have all of these apps open? And so what do you do? You start closing apps. Here's a woman's brain. It's described in these, this book, we're reading this book. A woman's brain is like a computer, or also like an iPhone, with all of these applications open. A woman's brain is like, there's 17 windows open on the desktop. And as a husband, I come to the computer and I'm just like, why do you have so many windows open on the desktop? This makes no sense at all to me. Because guys' brains are wired in a way that we go like this. We need one application. We need one window open. What am I doing right now? Oh, we're talking? Okay. Now it's time to eat. Okay. Now it's time to take our, oh no, don't take our clothes off. Okay. <laughs> And let me tell you why. And the woman is like this. The woman's like, hold on a second. How'd you jump from there? Because I have 17 different windows open in my brain. A woman's brain can't act like they physically in your brain, women, your brains are wired in a way that all the applications are opening and you're processing everything in each individual application at the same time. Okay. And men are like, just close the windows. Just 
The woman's like, my battery's dying. I have a headache, I'm tired. And you're like, men are so simple. You have too many applications open. And we're like, close the windows. And the women are like, it's not that easy. Because I got to think about the kids, you know, in the morning they have to get up, we have to get them to school. Before I get them to school, I have to make sure that the baby has their in, and the baby bag has to be packed. And when we get in the car, then one of them's going to have to go to the bathroom. But I know this one likes snacks, they like apples. They don't like apples cut, they want apples whole. And the apple has to be a small apple. And that apple is a gala apple. It's bought in a bag, it's organic, it's from Sprouts. Can you go to Sprouts for me? Because while I'm thinking about it, you have to go to Sprouts, I'm cooking dinner. But what we also need is I need to make sure dinner, do we have everything we have for dinner? And oh my gosh, and I know that I have this paper that I have to do because I'm, I'm trying to get my, and, then, and then I got to, and then, and then, And here's the man. I think you need counseling. It's not voices, man. It's the way. Okay, so you know what? For me to have a healthy relationship with my wife, I have to understand that she doesn't, like, she loves me. Okay? She just has 17 windows open and seven children, who, by the way, are all females. So they each have 17 windows open. And I walk in the house. Wanna eat? Right? I want to have a healthy relationship. I need to understand the person I'm trying to love. Do we understand the church? Do we understand? So let, let's talk today. I broke this. This message was supposed to be all inclusive today. And I broke it up into three weeks because I really feel like this is important. I really feel like we need to understand the church. If we're going to have a healthy relationship with it, especially in 2019, there's some, th there's some things we're going to talk about today. I'm going to set really some foundation today, okay? So number one, let's talk about church as the what. Now, I, I call this church as the building. Church is the building. Why do we call, you got up this morning and you said in your brain or you said to somebody out loud or you said to yourself out loud, which is totally okay because I talk to myself all the time too. Um, you said, I'm going to go to church. So clearly, we describe, in 2019, we describe church as a destination, a place. Uh, it's a building. It's a dwelling. Okay, we're, not, we're, we're no longer nomads. So we're not walking around aimlessly in the desert carrying tents, right? So clearly, we have permanent dwelling. So you were going to a permanent... You, what if you showed up here and we just picked the building up and moved it to another city, right? You'd have been confused. Why? Because it's 2019. We don't live like that any longer. Let's understand this word, though, church. This, where did it come from? There's a word in the Greek, kyriakos. I'm not Greek. Kyriakos. This is what it means. It means the Lord's house or belonging to the Lord. The Lord's house or belonging to the Lord. So this is why we have things like, you know, well, hey, uh, I don't think we should speak like that in, the, in God's house. When I was a kid, you know, don't do that in God's house. So when I was a kid, it was don't wear a hat in God's house. You have to dress in a suit in God's house. You don't raise your voice in God's house. You don't run in God's house. You don't do these things in God's house, okay? And why do we call it 
God's house because it, it actually was a derivative of this Greek word. The Greeks used this word to designate a building that the Christians at the time were meeting in. Okay? Up until that point, people of faith, before Jesus, people of faith, the Jews, they met in places called synagogues. Tabernacles, what we call the temple. We're going to temple. We're going to synagogue. We're going, we're going to tabernacle. And that's what the Jews use. And so we see in, in Numbers 150, instead of, this is, this is uh, instruction that's being given. Instead, appoint the Levites. The Levites were a part of the tribe of Israel, a part of the nation of Israel that were called to be priests. Okay? So it says, instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant law over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. So clearly in the Old Testament, we see this idea of a gathering place. It's a tabernacle. All its furnishings, everything belonging to it. And the Levites, the priests, were in charge of it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They are to take care of it and encamp around it. Now, again, understand, I said, we're, no longer, we're, not, we're not walking as nomadic people any longer. But at that time, these Levites, these priests, had to pick up the tabernacle and move with it with over one and a half million people. All of the Israelites are moving through the desert, okay? And the priests are in charge of picking up the tabernacle and moving it. Let's say we're all part of the Levite, the, the, the Levitical tribe, the Levites. And so I say as the chief, there was a guy named Aaron. He was like the chief priest. And I said, okay, all of you are in charge of making sure that all of the chairs in this entire building make it on our voyage. We're going to pick up and start walking again, Okay. We were in camps, and now we're going to take everything, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to pick up, and we're going to move. And that was their job. And when they would get to a spot, God would say, stop, and they'd stop, and they would put the tent back up, put all the furnishings as described in the Old Testament back in place, and they would, they, they would stay there, and they would encamp there. And it was a physical dwelling, but they were moving it. Christians adopted this word Later on, through a Scottish term called kirk. It's where we get the word church. The Scottish term kirk is derived from kyriakos. We take it in English and we say church. That's as simple as it is. Okay, now here's the deal. This word church today is what's called metonymy. Metonymy. Here's what metonymy is. Metonymy is, I'm going to read this, the definition and then I'm going, to, I'm going to illustrate it. It's a term in which the container is referred to by its contents. If I asked you, I'm thirsty, can you please bring me some water? And you walked up to me with this. Why is this called water? It's clearly a plastic clear bottle. Why is this called water? Because what? Because of what's in it. This, that we find this in, by the way, you can, okay, uh, ha hand me a Kleenex. Someone hands you a box of Kleenex, right? Uh, you go to the coffee place, you go into the canvas afterwards, can I have a tea? And they hand you a cup. 
double cupped, by the way, with a sleeve because I have manicured hands and they're soft and they burn. They hand you a tea, okay? We don't walk in to a coffee shop and go, can I have two cups, please, made of paper and a sleeve and a plastic lid? And inside of that, I would like the contents to be water that has a tea bag in it that will seep into the water and give me the taste of coffee when it's not really coffee. You wouldn't say that. You'd say, I want to order a grande tea. And they're going to hand you a cup. Do you argue with them? Why do we argue over church? It's a literary term. It's called metonymy. It's refer it's the little description is derived from its contents. Okay. I'm going to say this. Church then is where churching happens by the church. That was profound. Church is where churching happens by the church. Who the heck is the church? All right, let's talk about that. Number two, church is body of believers. Where do we get this from? There's this word ecclesia. Ecclesia is made up of two Greek words. The word ek, E-K, and the word kaleo, K-A-L-E-O. Happens to be the first name, part of the first name of one of my children. Her name is Kaleo Lani. Kaleo. Ek and Kaleo. When you put them together, this word ecclesia, we get this word ecclesia. And it means to call out from. Ecclesia refers to an assembly. Okay? So we're, we're assembling. That's an ecclesia. Local bodies of believers or the universal body of all believers. Okay? A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into a public place. And it can be used to describe a gathering of any size. So, can a church, this word ecclesia, can a church be a church of five people? Can it be a church of 500? Can it be a church of 5,000? Can it be a church of 50,000? Is one better than the other? Is one the right prescription? I want us to understand this. It's a calling out from somewhere we were into some place that God wants us. He wants us to be called out of a place where we were once segregated, separate, isolated, and we were divided. And he wants to call us into a place where we're uniquely fit in a gathering, in a family, in a community. He wants to call us out of a place where we're alone. Even though we're not alone, I will tell you that in 2019, more people feel alone than ever in the history of humanity. And God's calling us out of a place where we're alone, we're seemingly alone, mentally and emotionally we feel alone, into a place of very unique uh, gathering and community. What's the tension though? The tension is, is currently in 2019, we live in a, in a, now this isn't my term, this is actually, uh, this is actually a term I was talking with, uh, Tom, I was talking with you this week, and 
we, we were having a conversation, and he brought up this book called Megatrends. And the, the author of this book has written a numerous amount of books. But he wrote a book, and it was on living in a high-tech world, um, and basically, it's high-tech, high-touch. Has anyone ever read this book? Has anyone ever heard what I'm talking about? Okay, very fascinating. And he, here's the tension we live in. We live in a world that's highly, like, digitally, we're connected. We're in touch with one another, but we have no personal touch. So what happens is, is we have high-tech and low-touch. And what we're finding socially, and social science is proving this, that as the more high-tech we live, the more low-touch we get. And the more low-touch we get, the more disconnected we are as communities. And the more despair that as individuals we begin to walk in. And can I tell you that disparity, I, I, it is hard to find disparity in community. And this is what I mean. Rarely do you find a group of 5,000 people, 1,000 people, that are all in despair, uniquely depressed with one another, having thoughts of suicide together. Do you know why? Because you know what happens as soon as I come up against another human being? God built this thing into us that literally, that five seconds of touch, what begins to happen in my body, in your body? Oxytocin begins to get released. And as it begins, it's the same thing that happens when a mother births a baby and they place the baby on the mother's chest. Or then you see the nurse or the doctor rubbing the baby. Why are they doing that? It's releasing oxytocin in the baby's body. It's, it's part of our life. It brings life. So the tension that we live in is God has called us as an ecclesia from a place of loneliness and isolation into a community, and we live in a time and a space in 2019 where we live in high-tech and low-touch. So what we're being asked to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is counterintuitive to where we live socially. No exaggeration. When I say step into family, step into a community, get connected, get engaged, there is a war in, there, there is a war in your mind and your heart, as well as mine. And I think we've seen this from the beginning of time. It's not technology's fault. I don't look at my phone and go, it's the phone's fault. This phone has no power over us. This computer has no power over us. It only has what we give it. Before this, there was the Sunday morning newspaper that a father would roll out and sit, right? So it's not technology. That's, it's not what it is. But clearly we see in the beginning of time, we were made that our original design was for deep community, was for personal touch, was for high touch. Why? Because it says in the very beginning of this book made up of 66 smaller books called the Bible, the very first book in Genesis, it says that we were made, men and women were made and walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden and they had high touch with God. It was very personal. Enemy comes along and divides what? Divides the relationship of high touch. This is the battle from the beginning, guys. This isn't new to 2019. We're seeing it manifest in 2019 in a far different way. Are you with me this morning? So we're living in this tension because God wants to call us out of the separation and he wants to call us into community. 
It says, 1 Peter 2.9, But you were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Okay, now I want to stop for a second. I want to point out that God calls you out of isolation and into community because God did not die for you as an individual. He died for the people, and you happen to be a people within the people group. You want want me to repeat that? Okay, this is a mind bender. Jesus came back to die for a people, plural. You and I happen to be a person that make up the people. And what happens currently in our society is that we live in such an individual mindset that our faith becomes all about us. Jesus died for me. Yes, he did die for you. So this just has to do with me. I can totally be a follower of Jesus and I don't need any community. No, because it's personal. Jesus died for me. He did die for you, but he died for the community actually. And if you're not part of the community, you're considered an orphan. Are you following me? If you came to me and said, hey, you, you, Pat, you, I died for my family. Let's say I died for my seven, my seven daughters. And you came to me and I'm standing hopefully at, at the gates of heaven. And you see me and you say, okay, you can, you can tell me. Who did you really die for? Did you, did, you, did you die for Kaleo? Yeah. See, I knew it. I knew you didn't love the rest of them. I knew it was all about Kaleo. And I was like, no, it's not all that. Like, so, like okay, so like, did you die for Makana then? Like, yeah, I died for Makana. I, see, I knew it. You said Kaleo, but I knew Makana. I knew she was really number one. I knew it was really about her, you know, and it, it's like, do you understand that as a father, you understand that God is a father, do you understand that Jesus, it's he died for the whole, you happen to be a part, but if we don't live as part and we live outside of that, that's an orphan to a family that he died for us to live in. Good word, Pat. says that we're his special possession. That's why he says, but you are a chosen people. Not a, not a chosen person. We're a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. You know a nation, to be a nation has to be more than you, yourself, and you. Right? So he dies for all plural, by the way. Once you were not a people. Once all of us were walking separate from God, but now we are, once we were not a people, the scripture says, now we are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus saves us into a body of believers called what? The church. And the church is his body. And this passage in Ephesians says, you know, uh, one of the problems that happens is, I think, we run into this place where we, we go, I, I really, I, I love Jesus. I just hate the church. I have a great relationship with God, but I just, the church, nah. 
And I'm going to tell you what, we can come up with a thousand reasons why we don't love the church. You know why? Because there's at least a thousand people. You happen to be one. What's my point? It is easy to find the dirt. And it's easy to focus on the things that are going wrong, especially when people make up the church. Why? Because we're his body. And the scripture very clearly tells us, like, you and I would never hate our own bodies to the point of going, left hand, you really gave me a hard time today. And you get home, you walk straight in the door, and you look for the biggest knife, and you just hack your left hand off. I don't need it. You wouldn't do that. Why do we live our Christian lives like this? If you're a follower of Jesus, you need the body. You need to be engaged in church. So what is church? Church, what Jesus has saved us to is new believers. I'm going to read this twice. New believers joining together intentionally to form a new community. Now let me, I'm going to, that's not the whole thing. I'm going to stop and reread that again. It's new believers joining together intentionally. Not walking around as like digital avatars bumping into each other and like haphazardly having relationship. It's intentional. That means that it takes work. Intentional. It takes work. Every single morning I get up, it's intentional. Like uh, today, I am choosing today to be a married man to a beautiful wife. And I'm going to choose today to be intentional, to be a father of seven daughters. I'm going to choose today to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to choose today to step into community. I'm going to choose today to not be isolated. I'm going to choose today to be a follower of Jesus and a growing disciple, a growing follower of Jesus Christ and his radical lifestyle. I'm going to choose today. But we walk around and go like, I just don't feel, I don't. It's a choice. When I stop choosing, when I stop choosing my family, I will start choosing another family. I want you to understand this. Men, when you stop choosing, you will start choosing something else. Followers of Jesus, when you stop choosing to be intentional about being in community, you will start choosing other community. New believers joining together intentionally to form a new community. What's this new community? They're committed to following Jesus' radical lifestyle as expressed in God's word. That means this. We read it. That's what we're going to do. Does it mean we're going to sit and debate the 101 way? No. Read it. Radical lifestyle. Do it. We don't read it and then filter it through. Well, you know, it is. And, you know, and I feel, and I should redact that part of that scripture. I don't really feel like God was speaking to me directly. But I do think God was talking to my neighbor because they need joy. And my child, they need patience. If that's how you're parenting, yeah, your child needs more than patience. I'm going to define these really quick. Church then, 
It's two things. Church is a body of believers, and church is described as a building. And so we have one definition of a church that simply is a congregation of believers who come together to function as God's called out community. You've been called out. It's, it's a congregation of believers who come together to function as God's called out community. Church is also a physical location used for a congregation to gather together. It's metonymy. But it's not binary in the sense of like it's one or the other. That the reality is that there is something about the environment. There's something clearly in Scripture that God talks about the meeting place. But I want to tell you that that's essential as we gather, but it's not everything. Jesus died for a people, not for a building. Jesus Christ loved you as part of his people so much that he died for this. That he sees this as radiant. He sees this as blameless. He sees this as pure. I'm going to give you some examples of how we church here at the Movement Church. Because I think we should be churching as a church. Over 550 individuals on a weekly basis, over 550 individuals step in and take an opportunity to participate and be part of churching here at the movement. And that could be, in me, and that, I'm not talking about Sunday mornings, by the way. I'm totally going to exclude Sunday mornings. This is happening midweek. Sunday morning is like the locker room. It's where you come when you twisted your ankle because you've been running hard on the field. The field is Monday through Saturday, isn't it? I get beat up during the week. So this is a place that we come, we can regroup, we can refresh, we can get a pep talk, we can get an IV, we can get some oxygen, right? Over 550 individuals on a weekly basis here in this little church are gathering and churching. They're taking the opportunity to step in and church. We have over 50 individuals that at least once a month step outside of the four walls off of this camp. They, they, they literally are moving in community somehow and they're serving our community. One of those groups uh, is a group that meets and a couple times a month we help feed people who uh, are lacking food. And that ministry has grown a tremendous amount. We've had uh, a number of people step in and begin helping in that ministry. Is, is, is Jackson here right now? She walk out? Super cool story, San Diego Food Bank. San Diego Food Bank, we, uh, we uh, did a thing last Christmas where we had everyone come and donate cans of food. And we said, uh, we're going to give San Diego Food, because San Diego Food Bank was really short on food. So they, we're going to give them 5,000 pounds of food. And we said, said to Haley, who oversees all of our outreach, we said, Haley, where'd you get 5,000 pounds? She said, it just seemed like a great number. <laughs> like, wow, all right. So we're like, how are we going to get 5,000 pounds of food? So we, we just said, hey, here you go. And you know what? You guys stepped in and your relationship with church, your relationship with Jesus, you brought more than 5,000 pounds. I think we had like 7,000 pounds, something crazy. So much so when the San Diego Food Bank came to pick up the food, they, were, they, they showed up with a pickup truck. 
and they thought like, oh, we're going to throw some cans in the back. The guy realized it was pallets and pallets and pallets and pallets of food. They had to get a truck to come so they can load all the food in there, right? How many of you guys were part of that last year? Super cool. Over 500 organizations utilize San Diego Food Bank currently. Out of all 500 of them, six of those organizations were given awards last week. Our church was one of them. You can applaud that. I'm proud. I am super proud that I have the honor and the privilege of churching with you guys. I am thankful that God has given us a family that is extremely diverse. I'm thankful that God's given us a family that takes opportunities midweek, over 550 of you just step in. You're taking classes, you're meeting in groups, you're in affinity groups, community groups. You're meeting midweek in homes. I mean, I am super proud and I want to celebrate our church for that. Jesus died for what it is that you're doing if you're part of that. He died so that you could love other people as he loved you. And he loves the church. Here's my question for you today. How's your relationship with the church? Do you love her? Do you really love the church? Not are you in relationship with her. Because we can have relationships that are quick text message. Hey, want to come watch some Netflix? You know what I'm saying? We can define relationships a lot of ways. God wants us in a healthy, loving relationship with his church. As described in Ephesians. How are you doing? Are you loving the church? Why don't you guys stand with me? Next week, we're going to talk about some significant ways, some key ways that we can love our church. I want to, I want to make it very practical for you. Because I can say to you, are you loving your church? This week, for us to walk away, and that's a question that we have, all of us have. Do we love... Are you loving your church? Are you at odds with your church? There's a reconciliation that needs to happen with her. I will tell you that the most fulfilling thing in my life is doing exactly what I'm standing here and doing. Can I also tell you that the most challenging thing, that at times the most painful thing, at times the most exhausting thing, at times the most seemingly lonely thing that I've ever done in my life, I stood here and done what I'm currently doing. And I am just like you. I have to make a choice to fall in love with the church every single morning I wake up. But this is our original design family. We are called to love each other see each other as radiant without blemish and blameless we're called there's this mutual submission to each other as we submit to honoring God 
honoring Jesus for who he is. Next week, I want to give you some really practical ways that we can step in and do that. That we can love the church. That we can bring a positive outlook to the church. That we wouldn't be part of the degrading conversation that beats the church up and beats her up. That we would stand and say, hey, don't talk about her like that. Tell you what, if you walked in the door and I was standing at the altar with my bride, and you started talking about her, the pastor hat's coming off. We are called to love the church like Jesus did. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I'm going to ask that you would empower us and encourage us we can celebrate the fact that this little family in San Marcos, California, in the, in the corner of the grand scheme of things, in the corner of the world, that we're churching. We're loving the church, that we see as many people as we do stepping in and saying, I'm going to be a devoted follower of Jesus, where I'm going to lead a radical lifestyle as prescribed in Scripture. And one of the most radical things that we can do, one of the most radical things we can do, family, is to actually step into community with one another and love our church. God, I ask that you would reconcile. Lord, if there's pain or there's um, breakdown, there's history, there's things that are going on in the hearts of any one of us that, God, you need to reconcile. God, I ask for that reconciliation. If you need prayer for that this morning, if you've been hurt by the church, this is a big one. If you've been hurt by the church, that God is calling you still to himself, which is his body, which is the church. We want to pray with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ here this morning, we want to pray with you. So, Father, thank you for this family. Thank you for all of us that gather here, that assemble here. Thank you for what it is that you're doing. And I thank you in advance for the things that you're going to continue to do as we church together in our church. That we're going to make churching fun. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to enjoy one another. And we're going to work through all the things that need to be worked through so we can continue churching Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jackson, the team. Thank you for Haley, who has the strength and the courage to release leaders like Jax to be able to run and to be able to operate. Thank you that we have people that are gathering. If you're, if you're in this room and you gather and you help with our food distribution, can you raise your hand? Raise your hand high. Keep it up. I want Guys, I want you to look around at the people with their hands raised. It's not a lot of people. Could you applaud them? Thank you. Thank you for taking your time and showing up. Thank you for loving people that are in need. Thank you for stepping in and doing something that sometimes is uncomfortable. It takes time out of your day. As a church, as we learn how to love and have a healthy relationship, 
with what Jesus died for. Amen.